This morning's New Testament reading comes from the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, 7 verses 9 through 17. This is John writing to the early church. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. read an article um, a while back. I'm not a golfer. Somehow I ended up reading this article about Jack Nicholas, and it was talking about who's, you know, one of the, from what people tell me, one of the greatest golfers of all time. And he had this coach when he was really little who his dad took him to, and this coach taught him all the fundamentals, taught him how to hold the club, how to swing the club, all the basics. And every year before the really, the, I guess, the, the start of the tour season began, Jack Nicholas would call this coach, and he would fly to go and see him. And they would go through the same routine again, that, the, that this coach would hand this masterful golfer the club, and he would say, this is how you hold the club. And then he would get him into a stance and say, this is, this is how you stand. And this is how you swing the club. And they would go through, once again, 
um, all this, this man would humble himself before his old coach and go through all the basics and all the fundamentals of golf once again. And I, and I, I use that illustration um, to say that what I think we're doing in these few weeks that we've got here in September, as we've kind of finished going through one book of the Bible and um, we're going to do another series in a few weeks, is we're pausing to go back to really what are the fundamentals of who we are. Um, who we are as Christians, but who we are um, specifically as grace and peace, as we've expressed this in our, our mission of, of what we want to be and, and how we want to do this, is to proclaim the gospel, to glorify God by proclaiming and embodying the gospel of Jesus through worship and through welcome and through wonder. And so last week we looked at this, this most basic elemental part of that that we glorify God by proclaiming and embodying the good news of Jesus. And we talked about why this is good news to us. And this morning, we're going to pause and we're going to think about worship and why we do what we're doing here this morning and what that means to us and how it should affect us and all of those things. And so we're using these words um, from Revelation to do that. So let let me pause before we do that and ask for God's help. Father, thank you for giving us these words this morning, these words that were revealed to John that are inspired and have been handed down to us. Father, I pray that we would um, savor your word. We want to know more about you, and we thank you that you revealed yourself in your word, but pray that you would give us the eyes to really see it and the ears to hear it, the hearts to believe it this morning so that we might glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it was maybe a couple of months ago, I ran across, I just happened to see this picture. I mean, we see images throughout our day all the time, you know? I mean, constantly there's images before us, and we can easily pass over um, the multiple images that come before us, but for some reason, this one just stuck in my head. And really for the next week after I saw it, I would find myself kind of thinking about it um, again. It just, it just kept coming back to me. And, and then this week, so this was a few months ago, and this, this week as I was thinking about and meditating on this passage that Chris just read to us, this image, um, it just kept coming up in my mind until I finally had to like stop what I was doing and go back and figure out where I saw it and go back and find it because I wanted to see it again. And you're like, well, what was the image? I'm going to tell you what the image was, and I'm going to warn you. It's not going to probably blow you away. Okay? The image was this. It was was taken through um, a cracked door, a slightly open door, into a small room where there was, it looked like a little office where there was bookshelves. And the person, there was only one person in the picture, and the person who was in the picture, it was obvious that they didn't know that their picture was being taken. And the, the, the person in the picture was a, a small, elderly, um, somewhat frail Asian woman. And she was down all the way on her knees. 
And to the point where she was bending over, her elbows were down on the ground and her hands were in front of her and her face was all the way down on the ground and in her hands was what looked like a a Bible and she had her face just pressed down against, against it all the way on the ground. And the person who took the picture was her son, and he was, he's a pastor, and he's, he said this about the picture. He said something along these lines, that I came home uh, to my parents' house this morning unannounced, dropped by to check on them, and my mom didn't know I was here, and this is how I found her. Singing and praying and rejoicing and praising God. And I don't know like why that stuck in my head so much, but I could not stop thinking about this frail old woman down on her knees. Have you been, when's the last time you got down all the way on your knees and put your face on the ground? I mean, if you go home this afternoon and you try it, if you're getting a little bit advanced in years, it's hard just to get to like rest on your knees and then to get all the way down. There's something in us that doesn't want to do it, right? There's, because the point is, when you bow down and you get down on your face, what you're doing is you're, you're actually exposing the most vulnerable part of your body, the back of your neck. And there's something in us that instinctually does not want to do that. Unless there's something that's in front of us that completely overwhelms us and we want to adore it. That's the only time people bow. That's the only time people get down all the way on the ground and put their face on the ground. I think maybe one of the reasons that this image stuck with me so much and came back in my mind when I read this passage is I remember when I was um, a little boy and I would get up kind of early in the morning. I've been cursed my whole life with waking up early. Um, Even when I was little, I would wake up early and I I remember walking into the kitchen to get breakfast and looking over to my right And the door was cracked to our den. And I remember seeing my dad in there on his knees, praying. And being kind of young enough to know what he was doing, but not really to understand why he would be up early in the morning and doing this. And looking back, um, knowing that that image of my dad who was, you know, when you're a little boy, your dad is strong and he's capable and he can do whatever he wants. He can beat up your dad for crying out loud. And he's on his knees. He's bowing down. And that hit me. I think that shaped me to some degree to see that if if he bows down to this God, this God must be really something. He must be really big. He must be something that I have to pay attention to. And friends, this morning, what I want to do this morning is something really, really simple. Is I just want us to remember this morning that our God is worthy of our worship more than anything else. That the first step for us as a church, as a body of of what we call Christians who follow Christ, that the first step in, in proclaiming and embodying the good news is that we worship. We are people who prioritize worship. We are people who look forward to worship because we get to come together and sing and proclaim the name of this God. You know, worship is a radical act of allegiance. And it's also a radical act of rejection of every other God. That's what we're doing 
here this morning is that we are, we are saying that there is one true God and that every other God is a false God. There is one true God and he deserves all of our praise. There's something that is mysterious that happens when we come together and we do that. It's not, it's not just sort of like, oh yeah, we go to church. And if you've grown up in the South, you're used to doing this. When we come together as a group of people and we proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. There is something mysterious that is going on when we do that. And I want us to just, I want us to remember that. I want us to catch a glimpse of that this morning. And we're going to do that by looking through the lens of this passage in Revelation and when, when Chris began to read Revelation, maybe some of you got uneasy because you've had bad experiences with Revelation and with the church. And you watched, like, maybe you saw, like, a movie when you were younger. And it was like, I don't want to read that book because there's terrifying things in there. And it's really sad and it's really ironic because the reason that this book is given to the church is to comfort the church. That the reason this, this letter was given, I mean... This, this recording of this revelation was given to the early church was because they were suffering and they were being persecuted and they had, um, they were basically, they had emperors that were very unjust and we're getting to peek behind the curtain. We're beginning to see things that are going on that are really hard to like comprehend and understand so that you, we can have confidence so, so your imagination can be ignited and then you can see that at this very moment there are realms of things happening that you've been invited to take a look at and to remember when you leave this place. And so I just want to ask some really simple questions this morning of this passage and see um, how it may draw us in um, to worship. And the first question I want to ask is this, is where is John? In this passage. Now, maybe I, maybe back up and go, first of all, who is John? John is the I in this passage. Um, he said, and then I, I looked. The I is John. Now, who is John? Um, most scholars, commentators believe this is the same John that we studied for like a year and a half. Uh, this is the disciple who was with Jesus who wrote the Gospel of John. And he wrote the, the three letters in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is the one who said he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And John, was, this was a point in his life where Domitian was um, on the throne in Rome and was not very excited about um, what was happening with Christianity. It, it was, seemed to be somehow a threat to his primacy. And so John, being so close to Jesus and being so prominent in the church, has been exiled to an island called Patmos. That'll shut him up, right? We'll keep him there until the day that he dies. I mean, and as a side note, isn't it interesting that this emperor is like, we'll just banish him to an island. And here we are 2,000 years later reading his words because God is going to do what God wants to do. And this is what he's doing, and this is what he's showing John, and he's telling John, I want you to show this to everybody else. And so now we can ask this question, well, what does John want to show us? Where is he? What does God want to show us through this man? 
And in order to answer that question, um, let's go back a few chapters to chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. You can. There's pew Bibles in there that you, or if you don't own a Bible, I'd never say this enough, then please take one of those with you when you go. Some of our children have even decorated them for you. Uh, so there's Bibles there if you want to look at it. If you go back to chapter four, um, basically in Revelation, there's, there's been a series of letters that have been given to, to these different churches. And then there's a little bit of a transition and John says this. I mean, a lot of what he says starts with, with these words, after this I looked. And he says in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said this, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. And one seated on the throne. So you see what's happening is John is invited um, in to take a look at, hey, there's a door that's open. And then this voice like a trumpet says, get in here. And he goes in there. And the first thing that he sees is that he is in the throne room of God. That I see a throne. It's the first thing that I see. It's prominent. It's right before me. And there is someone seated on the throne. And after that, so starting in verse in chapter 4, the next few chapters leading up to what we read this morning takes place in that room. All right, so that's where we are. We're in the throne room of God. Well, where is God? We're doing fundamentals this morning, right? Where is God? He's on the throne. That's where he is. And I want to meditate on that for a few minutes because he is seated on the throne. And when John tries to describe him, go back and read it in chapter 4, maybe this afternoon. When John tries to describe the one seated on the front throne, it's like, um, it's like the double rainbow guy. You remember that video? You know, it just popped into my head. Um, it's like trying to describe the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen to someone who can't see. It's like trying to, it's like seeing a sunset that is like overwhelms you and next to you is a friend who doesn't have eyes, who, who's been blind maybe from birth. And they say, tell me what you're seeing. And John says, it's like Jasper and Carnelian. Okay. And around, and around the throne, there's this rainbow. It's like an emerald and there's a sea of glass. And around the throne, is, it, it, there's all these people who are worshiping. And from the throne, there's peals of thunder and there's lightning that is emanating out from the throne. You got it? <laughs> and what John is saying, he's just piling words on words and he's saying, what I'm seeing is, is, is it's almost impossible for me to describe. But there is one thing that is certain. It is God who is seated on this throne. The throne is central. It's central to the whole section. It's central to Revelation. In, this, in these verses alone, seven times the throne is mentioned. From chapter 4 to chapter 7, 26 times the throne is mentioned. Are we want, do, do you think God wants us to pay attention to the throne? I think he wants us to pay attention to the throne. Why? Because who is on the throne is the most vital question of your life. Who is on that throne and what he is like, it is absolutely the most vital 
question of your life. Why do you think it matters that God is on this throne? What does a throne represent? A throne represents sovereignty. It represents power. It represents control. It represents authority. And so this morning, who are we praying to? The one on that throne. Who do you, that's right. Who, who do we belong to? God, the one on the throne. Is he someone who is like us? We are made in his image, but no, he is not like us. He is not, the one on that throne, John makes it very clear, is not just simply a cleaned up better version of you. He is wholly other. And from that throne, he reigns forever and ever. He reigns forever and ever, and he reigns at this very moment. You know, a few years ago, with our kids, we were reading through this book at breakfast that um, was basically trying to describe, it was like big truths for young hearts or something like that. It was trying to describe big concepts in the Bible, like theological concepts. You know, theology is just literally the study of God. And it was trying to describe, you know, sort of the bigness and the greatness and the power of God. And one of the verses uh, that it presented to us was Isaiah 40, verse 12. And it just says this. It's, it's basically asking this question to you when thinking about God. Who has measured the waters in the palm of his hand? And that's the kind of verse, when you're like my age... You read it, and you're just like, yeah, God. Um, And, like, let's keep going. But when you have kids in the room, kids are beautiful because they say, what does that mean? And you're like, well, it means that, you know, he's kind of speaking in, like, this metaphor, but it's, like, actually true that God can hold all the waters of the world in the palm of his hand. And it's like, he's that big? Yeah, and we started talking about that, and you're like, you know, if we went down to the neighborhood pool, and I leaned over and started scooping out water with my hand, I could scoop out water with my, whole, with my hand all day long, and I probably would not affect the level of water. He holds all the waters of the world, and the, they're like a drop in the palm of his hand. Maybe think about it like this for a minute. We live, you know... I was, I can't remember, I was talking to one of my kids the other day, and we were just talking about the fact that, like, isn't it weird, like, right now we're standing on a big ball? Isn't that weird? And the ball is, like, rotating, and it's flying through space. Right now. Like, what, like, we should just, like, fly off, you know, into space. We're rotating on this ball that is in orbit, and it's turning, and it's going around the sun, and it's part of a, a galaxy, And the galaxy that we're a part of, it's estimated that it's about 100,000 light years in diameter. Now what that means is that for us to travel across the entire galaxy, it would take us 100,000 years if we were traveling at the speed of light. Now, if we were traveling at 55 miles an hour, take us over... 12 million years to go one light year. I didn't do any math beyond that. (laughs) It would take 
over 12 million years for us at 55 miles an hour to go one light year, and our galaxy is 100,000 light years in diameter. And astronomers estimate that there could be as many as a billion galaxies in the universe. Where is God? He's on the throne. He rules over all of it. He spoke it all into being and he created every last molecule of it. Meaning what? That from him and through him and to him is all things. They all belong to him. He is on the throne. There is no one and there is nothing that can get on that throne. There's nothing that can be on that throne except for him. And what that means is that one day, as we're told, every knee will, every knee will bow before that throne. Without question and without a doubt. Every knee will bow before that throne. Um, One of you emailed me this week, and I love getting these kind of emails. I'm not going to say who it is or reveal anything about it, but other than to say you were asking for prayer and counsel because you were going to meet with somebody, and they were somebody who claimed to be a Christian, but you were meeting with them because of saying, like, you know, there's really big things in their life that are completely opposed to what God says, and they know that, and they just say they don't care, and I don't know how to talk about that to somebody, you know. And I, was, I received that email as I was thinking about this passage, and it really changed, you know, my perspective to think of this person is going to stand before that throne. They will. And maybe you can think about it this way. You might be um, in college, and your professor who you really, like, admire and love, and they are brilliant, and they have studied, and you are learning a lot from them, but at the same time, They are mocking God at every turn, and they ridicule the fact that anyone would possibly believe any of this. Listen to me. They will stand before the throne. They will. Or the person who has taken advantage of you or hurt you in unfathomable ways, they will stand before this throne. Or the rulers of this earth at this current Moment, who we can be sometimes baffled by or intimidated by, ones who maybe at times have taken, have worshiped power, have not protected the ones they were put in office maybe to protect. Every ruler who has ever existed will stand before this throne. Who else is in this room that John shows us? He says, he looks out, and the first thing he sees is there is a great multitude that nobody can number. And they are people, and what he's seen is this um, interesting dynamic. Because everyone's wearing the same thing, but nobody looks similar, right? Everybody's clothed in white, but he sees every tribe, and he sees every tongue, and he sees every nation, and they are all gathered together in these white robes. This ain't a, a, like an all-white, you know, like somber, <laughs> English-speaking congregation, right? I mean, this is everybody. And they've got palm branches, which is a sign of victory. And they're waving the branches, and they're saying, salvation belongs to who? Our God. Where is he? On the throne and to the Lamb. All together. 
And around the throne are angels. Something we don't probably think about a whole lot are angels. There are angels and there is a, um, basically a hierarchy, an angelic session of elders, 24 elders that are gathered around the throne. And there's also these four living creatures. Now, if you want to know what the four living creatures, you want to hear John try to describe those, go back to chapter 4. It's crazy. The point is, there's a whole other realm of things going on, and it's true. And it's happening. And if you saw these angels, and you saw these archangels, and you saw these four living creatures, I imagine the first thing that we would want to do is fall down on our face and worship them. But what do they do? They fall on their faces before the throne. They expose their neck to the throne. And they cry out to him. They cry out, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Who else is there? John says next to the throne is a lamb. And in chapter 5 he says he is standing as though he had been slain. And he is being worshipped alongside the one who who is on the throne. And the only way that you have access to the throne is by way of this lamb. You know who this is. This is Jesus. He's the Passover lamb and he alone makes them worthy to come before this throne. Listen to the words again of of verses 13 and 14. And one of the elders said to John, who are all these people in white robes? And where have they come from? And I love this next line. John says, you know. Right? It's like, sir, you know, like, why are you asking me? You're an angelic elder who has a throne around the throne. And he says, you know what's going on better than I do. And he says, you know who these people are. And he says, yes, I do. These are ones who have suffered. And they've asked questions. And they've had doubts and they've wondered. And yet they've survived and they've, and they've held fast to their confession. And now they have been washed Their robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's who these people are. Author of Hebrews, he says it this way. In chapter 4, it says, We now, since we now have a we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is what is so crazy about the fact that there is a lamb that is standing next to the throne as though he had been slain because he has been slain is because the second person of the trinity has entered into creation so that he might sympathize with our weaknesses and yet he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin and so the author of hebrews says i think you now have confidence to draw near to this throne of grace Because you have a high priest who is also the the perfect sacrifice who has passed through the heavens before you and he has gone straight to the throne and he went to the throne on your behalf and he pleaded your case for you. And he says, I have taken on the burden and the consequences and the judgment of their sin and now I have washed them clean and they wear the robes of my righteousness. And now they say, Well, you've got confidence to draw near to that throne. 
That means right now, right now, you have access. If you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, you have access to the throne room of God right now. That means right now, as we lift up our voices and we sing together and we stop what we're doing, right? Let's just put down our our stuff for a little while that's just so important, I know. Let's put it down for a minute and like let's gather together with people to sing and to pray and to hear his word read. And you know what's happening at that moment? That all of that stuff is going into that throne room right now. That our worship, that's where it's going, into that room. That's what we're doing, is we're saying, he is on the throne, he is the king of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and we are his people. That means right now, you have a new family, and your family is made up of, of every tribe and every tongue and every nation, It's made up of the saints that have come before us, the ones who are currently spread around the globe, and the ones who are going to come after us. That is your family. It means that right now you don't have to hide anymore or live with shame or guilt anymore because you have peeked behind the curtain. And you have seen who's on the throne, and you know the lamb who is standing next to him, and he knows you. And you were washed in his blood. And you have nothing left to fear. This is why we started our call to worship this morning with those words of Psalm 27. There isn't anything left for you to fear. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But there is nothing left. If you are united to Jesus, there is nothing left for you to fear. It means that, why? Because one day... One day, the one who found you, who saved you, who sympathized with your weaknesses, who made you righteous, who washed you in his blood, one day that same one is going to bring you into this room. He started it. He is going to finish it. And listen to the words that John records. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Why? Because the lamb in their midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. The one on the throne keeps your tears in a bottle. If that doesn't make us want to fall down on our face, I don't know what will. I got nothing else. Why does this matter? Let me finish with, man, Eight more sermons about why it matters. So let me finish with like just a couple words. Because what we want as a church is for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the people that John was writing to, the ones who were suffering, the ones who, who were thinking probably as they looked around, is this really what it's going to be like? Because this is awful. And they're probably asking the question, is Caesar, who's on the throne, um, does he really hold all the power? Is all the power in Rome? And you might look around and you go, and you look around and you think, are, are the rulers of this world, are they really the ones who are in power? Do they really have the control? And John is saying, hang on a minute, let me show you something. I got invited into this room and I'm inviting you to come see it with me. 
And it's the throne of the entire universe, and the king is on it, and you have access to it because of Jesus. And this king is going to reign forever and ever, and the only proper response from us is to fall on our faces and to worship him. That this is why I said at the very beginning that what we do here is not try to entertain people so that you will be happy and so that we can find a church that suits our needs. We are here to worship the almighty, everlasting God of heaven and earth. It doesn't matter if you like the songs. They're for God, right? It doesn't matter if I do. They're for God. This is why we gather here together. It is the biggest privilege that we have to gather with the saints and to lift our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven and say together, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain and he is worthy. Let me pray. Father, If anything, um, it is hard for us to fathom, for us to have a big enough um, imagination to even picture what is going on in this passage and what John shows us. But, But, Father, thank you for showing it to us. Thank you for inviting us into this room. This morning, thank you for receiving our worship and our praise for as foul as we have been. We have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we give you praise this morning, Jesus. We give you praise that you have gone before us and you have passed through the heavenly places and that you have redeemed a people to continually give honor and praise to God. And Father, thank you for this privilege. Help us to not take it flippantly. Help us to get a glimpse of the bigger picture that is always going on in this universe and to see what a privilege it is that we've been invited into it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.